Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Sequestered from one another, Lance Meadow <laughs> in a towering skyscraper somewhere in Manhattan. I am in my New Jersey bunker, corona-free, both of us. Hope everyone <laughs> out there is staying safe, staying sequestered, doing your social distancing to keep everybody safe. And we hope you're enjoying Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're happy to continue bringing you episodes uh, through everything that's going on in the world and hope we can bring you a bit of a distraction and bring you a little bit of fun along the way. And it's been a couple busy days here, Lance. And before we get started, I just want to stress a couple of things for folks. I'm going to hear me repeat this a lot. You're going to want to strangle me by the end of the show, <laughs> but I'm going to have to do it. I'm just warning you ahead of time. All of these agreements we're going to be talking about today are not official. They're all simply according to reports. The Giants are not confirming these reports. We will credit all the reports. They are all pending a physical examination, and none of them can become official until at the earliest 4 p.m. on Wednesday when free agency officially begins. But considering all the travel restrictions, there's no way to know when all these physicals are going to get done, when these contracts can be finalized. So we'll be talking about these contracts just in terms of contract terms and not official, pending a physical. That We're going to be talking about that for a long time, so just brace yourselves. And I will be repeating that, so just keep that in mind. But Lance, uh, you and Paul talked about... I'm already tired of hearing that already, John. <laughs> yes, and I am tired of hearing both of us say it, absolutely. So... <laughs> Um, you and Paul talked about some of the signings yesterday. You talked about Bradbury. You talked about uh, Blake Martinez. Um, you guys talked about uh, Toy Lolo. So yeah. let's talk about the one that broke yesterday, and that is the Giants coming to contract terms. Again, this is not official. They came to contract terms with free agent outside linebacker Kyler Fackrell. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, the agreement contingent upon Fackrell passing his physical cannot be made official until free agency begins at 4 p.m. on Wednesday. And Lance, Fackrell is a guy that, quite frankly, I wasn't that familiar with. I didn't know the name all that well, but I should have. You go back, look at his numbers. He had a quiet year this year, just a sack. But in 2018, when he had Patrick Graham as his linebackers coach and run game coordinator with the Packers, he had a 10-and-a-half sack season. And looking at the tape, there were some pretty impressive pass rushes in there. So I'll compare this, and we could talk about the player more in detail, how he fits. But this, to me, is very similar to what the Giants did with Marcus Golden last year, where they find the guy that had production in the past, for whatever reason, there was a downgrade for Marcus Golden, it was a knee injury. For Fackrell, the Packers brought in two pass rushers in Preston Smith and Zaire Smith, and uh, Zadarius Smith, Smith, pardon me. Uh, so he got less playing time. But to me, you're trying to buy low on a guy that showed he can be productive, and you hope he can renew that production with you. Yeah, sort of a low-risk, high-reward type of maneuver, John, to your point. And I think Golden is a very good parallel. With Golden, of course, as you noted, it was an injury rationale as to why his production dipped. Fackrell was relatively healthy last season. However, to your point, the difference between 18 and 19 is all of a sudden Green Bay brings in two heavy lifters in the pass rushing department in Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith who were not there in 2018. So the fact that he was able to have that production without those two guys present I think is extremely impressive. And I want to break down those numbers further because as you well know, when you see 10 and a half sacks, you say, okay, well, how were those distributed? Because you know we've seen players, and I'm going to go internally here. 
If you look at B.J. Hill, how many times did we talk about this going back to not last season, the season prior? He led the Giants with five and a half sacks, John. But remember, three of them were in one game. And it's no disrespect to Hill. It's just you've got to compute these numbers and you have to provide the proper context. So when you look at the ten and a half sacks for Fackrell back in 2018, six of them came in two games. He had a pair of three sack games, but he actually had half a sack in seven of the 16 games. So yeah. it wasn't as if it flashed once or twice and then he completely disappeared from the surface of the earth. He was a presence throughout the course of the season. So I think that's promising. The only difference right now is, once again, you're not going to have Preston Smith. You're not going to have Zadarius Smith. So how does he react to new personnel around him? That remains to be seen. But I think Patrick Graham said to himself, just like with Blake Martinez, because remember, both of these guys were teammates, and they were both drafted as part of that 2016 Packers class. Hey, I have familiarity with these two. They know the scheme. I've seen success out of them. Let's bring them over in a year that I'm installing my own defense, and these could hopefully be guys that the rest of the group can feed off of. Yeah, when you look at Fackrell's numbers, Lance, I'm going to give you some things off of pro football focus, and I'm not worried about their grading. I'm worried about their uh, stat tracking. So two things I think are interesting. One, if you take a look at his snap counts from 2018 to 2019, uh, he had 1,051 snaps in 2018. That dropped more than 200 snaps, about 280 snaps, to 797 in 2019. He had 22 fewer pass rush snaps. So the pass rush snaps are actually similar. So then you look inside the pass rush numbers, and we talk about how a lot of times sacks can be a a number that a player can't control, right? They might be able to get pressure, but what happens if a quarterback gets the ball out quick? Somebody gets open, the quarterback scrambles. That's not necessarily the defensive player's fault, which is why sometimes if you want to look at effectiveness, you'd want to take a look at pressures. And this is what I think is really interesting, Lance. So the way Pro Football Focus tracks pressures is they take sacks, quarterback hits, and quarterback hurries, and they put them all together to get total pressures, right? So this is, I think, really funny, and it shows you how the sack stack can be a little bit tricky when judging players. So in 2018, keep in mind, in 250 more snaps rushing the passer, actually it looks like 32. You had 243 pass rush snaps in 18, 211 in 2019. So in 30 more pass rush snaps, he had 11 sacks, because PFF doesn't count uh, half sacks, only one quarterback hit and 12 hurries for 24 total pressures. That was his 2018 season. In 2019, in 30 fewer pass rush snaps, just one sack, but seven quarterback hits, six more than the year before, and 18 hurries, six more than the year before. So here's the funny thing. Fackrell actually had two more quarterback pressures in the year where he only had one sack in 30 fewer pass rush attempts. So the numbers from one year to the next in terms of sacks might be very different, but if you look at the peripheral numbers in terms of pressures, they're actually very, very similar. Well, and that speaks volumes of efficiency, which is essentially what you just laid out. And as we well know, the coaching staffs are looking at the numbers way beyond the sacks. You know, the pressures, the quarterback hits, all of those things 
are taken into consideration when they evaluate the potential of a linebacker or a defensive lineman who actively gets after the quarterback. And once again, if you go back to the numbers that you just laid out, I think that's evidence that there's potential there for Fackrell. The only thing that has changed right now is he's going to be surrounded by different teammates. And we can't be naive, John. It's all about the environment, of course, around you. It's not just you winning your individual battles, but it's also the amount of pressure that may be put on the opposite side. Yep of the guy playing across from you versus now what you're facing. And it's way too early to tell what the dynamics of this defense are going to look to because we know it's going to be versatile. We know it's going to be 4-3. We know it's going to be 3-4. But we also don't know what the full roster looks like. But I will tell you this. Based on even with Bradbury coming into the picture, according to an agreement, once again, physical is still pending, even with some veteran presence on the back end, this Giants defense still needs not one, not two, but multiple guys, John, to be able to consistently put pressure on the quarterback. And Fackrell is now just another piece of the equation that they're hoping adds up to a more volume of quarterback hits as well as sacks. Yeah, and he's played both on the left side and the right side. In 2019, he had a 290 pass rushing snaps from the right side, 232 from the left side. The year before, he was over 400 snaps on the right side, over 200 from the left side. So he's a versatile guy. He could play both spots, which is something you like to see. Yeah. And to quote Paul, and I actually want to get into this conversation with you more because we're going to talk about pass rushers a lot on this show. And by the way, we did get your questions. I should throw out there, throw that out there. I retweeted it. I'm going to pin it on my timeline. Lance, you should have it on your timeline as well. Since we can't take calls, we're really going to try to take a lot of questions from fans over the course of this show. And the Giants tweeted out yesterday um, a way for fans to submit questions to Big Blue Kickoff. Now, you can still submit them via hashtag GiantsChat or reply to any of our tweets, just send them to us, we'll read them. But you can also send them in on a form through the Giants website. So I have a almost a full page of questions here that we can get to uh, on the second half of the show. But since we are going to do a lot of pass rush talk, uh, I'll use Paul's language for now. I want to dip more into the language. He's not a guy that, that's going to lead your pass rush. He's not going to be a Batman and get 15 sacks and draw double teams. But he's a guy that can be productive and if the Giants end up not bringing back Marcus Golden, he's still a free agent. We don't know what's going to happen with him. I think he's somebody that can make up a fair amount of Golden's production if things go right for him this year in terms of the things you're talking about. Scheme, guys around them helping him out. I I don't know how much of a difference is going to be in production between those two guys. I think they're fairly similar, depending on how you use them. Well, I think that was part of the rationale in bringing a guy like Fackrell over Schmelk, because if you do lose Marcus Golden, and it's the land of the unknown, it's the land of the unknown right now. We don't necessarily know how the market's going to play out for him, but he was somebody that led the team in sacks, and he also led the team in quarterback hits. So if you do lose Golden, somebody's going to have to come in, make a significant impact immediately. And I think the Giants' rationale, they're thinking at least, is that Fackrell, based on what he's shown in Green Bay, in Patrick Graham's system, so there's that comfort, there's that familiarity, there's no reason why he can't come in and fill what Golden perhaps leaves behind in the circumstances that potentially Golden does leave the Giants. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just another body in that group in which, frankly, they probably have to add um, a couple more, whether it's in the draft later on in free agency. It doesn't have to be um, a big-time free agent at that position necessarily. But right now, Lance, you're looking at Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez, two players from last year's team. And then with Kareem Martin being let go earlier this year in the offseason and Marcus Golden still a free agent, those are really 
the three edge rushers on the roster, and you need more than that in a league where you're rotating those defensive linemen and those pass rushers constantly. So I would expect another addition of some kind. Again, it doesn't have to be a big time for Asian. It could be in the draft, but you are going to have to add more numbers to that group than what they have there right now. Well, and all you need to do is go back to last year's team totals. Remember, the Giants finished near the bottom of the league, so they're well aware that they need to see that number go up. And one guy alone is not necessarily going to solve all the issues. You go back to when the Giants won Super Bowls, whether it be 2007, 2011, John. There were a plethora of pass rushers. So Steve Spagnuolo, no matter who it was, Perry Fuel, could turn to guys in the fourth quarter that had some fresh legs. And remember, this goes back to the conversation we've had on this very program when Spags came back as the second time as the defensive coordinator. And how many snaps, John, did Olivier Vernon and JPP have, right? Yeah, they had 90%. 90% yeah. right? And we were talking about, even Spags was asked, well, why don't you rotate other guys in? And he said, listen, there's a dip in production. If I take those guys off the field... I'm not sold on the fact that the pass rush is going to be able to be maintained. So that's why what you're seeing around the league now, based on the transactions, and we're going to get into a lot of them throughout the course of this program, teams always say to themselves, you can never have enough pass rushers. And I'm not just talking about edge guys. Let's also not overlook the guys on the interior. Sure. For example, Philadelphia bringing in Javon Hargrove. Oh, he may not be a guy that gets a lot of sacks, but he certainly gets pressure up the middle, collapses the pocket, and that opens up opportunities for the edge guys. So... To me, a lot of next year's productivity, John, is also going to fall on, bringing it back to the Giants, the Dexter Lawrences of the world, the B.J. Hills of the world. You know, they're also expecting those guys to make significant strides in getting pressure up the gut to open things up for the Fackrells of the world. Yeah, no question about it. And I mentioned when I was talking about Fackrell before, and I know you and Paul talked about this yesterday. You know, Paul likes to use the terminology the Batman and the Robin. Yeah. And I was and I kinda talked this to about talked to him about this maybe about a week ago. We didn't get too deep into it, but I want to kinda talk about it with you. How many true Batmans, Lance, again, to use Paul's term, I'm not sure I agree with it, but to use his term, how many of those players do you really think are actually in the league right now that you consider a true number one draw-the-attention type of perimeter outside pass rusher? You can take Aaron Donald out of the mix. I'm talking about outside guys. How many of those guys do you think are actually in the league right now? If you were to look at 32 teams and go by that, I don't know if I would say with utmost confidence, John, that 50% of the teams feel they have Batman and Robin. But I don't think it's a stretch to say about one-third of the league. Is that fair? I think about one-third of the league feels right now they've got Batman and Robin in place. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. For example, let let me give you an example of what occurred right now in free agency. The Bears have Khalil Mack, okay? He is a Batman. (laughs) He's Batman, okay? No debate there. Wouldn't you say that Robert Quinn, who they brought in from the Cowboys, Robert Quinn to me is a Robin. Sure, absolutely. Right. I agree with you. So there is an example. And once again, you'd then have to find nine other examples of that happening in the NFL. I don't think you'd be hard-pressed to find at least seven to eight maybe. So I would say a fair estimate is about a third of the league right now I think has Batman and Robin in play. All right, I I think that's fair because I think if you look at it, I would definitely – I'm just looking at the sack leaders from last year. I know that's an inexact science, but I'm going to go through some of these guys. I think you would have to consider Cameron uh, Chandler Jones a Batman, correct? Yep. Cameron Jordan, I think probably pretty close to one. Absolutely. Uh, Zadarius Smith, I think you're pretty close to one there. Based on last season. Um, take either one of your Chargers guys, either Joey Bosa or Melvin Ingram. One of those guys is certainly a Batman. 
Um, I would say, obviously, Cleo Mack. Obviously, Von Miller. Um, would you consider Demarcus Lawrence a Batman? I would put him in that category. I think based on his previous production, that warrants that. How about Miles Garrett from the Browns? I would consider him that probably too, right? Yes. Nick Bosa, yes. Absolutely. Okay. So I think we're around 10 now. Yeah. And if you start counting the interior guys, like the Aaron Donalds, the Chris Jones, guys like that. Fletcher Cox. Yeah. I mean, I I think I'd probably consider, I'm not sure I would consider Brandon Graham a quote-unquote number one Batman. I think he might be just on the level below that. Um, Daniil Hunter, would you consider him a Batman? He's close. Hunter's close. Yeah, so I I, I think your number was about right. I think you're looking at probably anywhere from, what, 10 to 14, depending on how you want to categorize the guys. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, which also, once again, puts us right below a half point of the league. But I think one-third, I would go more on the lower side, which is 10, more so than I would go to 14. I think if that's you were fair. to give an estimate. Sure, I'm with you on that. So, and, and this is the point I'm coming to. You look at the teams that have those guys, and you can count Shaq Barrett as one of those guys off last year. I didn't want to because it's just one season. But look at these guys. I mean, the, the Cardinals have Chandler Zones. They didn't make the playoffs. Cleo Mack of the Bears, they didn't make the playoffs. Von Miller, the Broncos, they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, just go down the list. Demarcus Lawrence, the Cowboys, they didn't make the playoffs. Miles Garrett, the Browns, they didn't make the playoffs. The Chargers, they've had Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram together for a couple years now. They haven't made the playoffs with those guys. They've, in fact, underachieved. They made the playoffs last year, uh, or in 2019, 2018, rather, but they didn't last season. So you don't have to have a big-time pass rusher like that to be an effective team or an effective defense. Now, this isn't saying it doesn't help, and it's not certainly handy and important if you do have one, but it's not like you're hopeless on defense if you don't. No, not at all. But if you don't have Batman or you don't have Robin, then what you're doing is you're expecting it to come via piecemeal from the rest of your team, which is certainly feasible, John. You know, I could have a team where I rotate five guys and they may give me anywhere between four to five sacks apiece. Okay, you're going to feel good about that, especially if you have somebody also on the roster who gives you 10 sacks because now all of a sudden you're at least in the 30s and then the secondary chips in. You can get near that 40 plateau, which I think is a target for anybody. I think most teams say you go into a season hoping for about 40 to 42 sacks. And then you say, okay, that's doable. That could help us out. But if you don't have that, if you don't have Batman and you don't have the piecemeal – then you're like the New England Patriots, John, and you're expecting your secondary to be composed of elite shutdown guys at both corner and safety. Now, if you apply that to the Giants right now, Bradbury certainly is that veteran presence that they were lacking last year once they parted ways with Janoris Jenkins, but it's still baptism by fire for this Giants cornerback group because a lot of these guys did not get a wealth of snaps until late in the year, and they're still growing, which is understandable. It's not a knock against this group. It's just, let's be realistic. This is a group, Jerome Henderson, the defensive backs coach, when he finally gets to speak to the media, I'm sure he's going to have similar sentiments. Hey, I'm working with still a young group, which means there's going to be growing pains, and that's why you need a pass rush to help alleviate the pressure on the back end. Yeah, and I think that is another way to build it. And you mentioned that 40-sack mark. That would literally, in last year in the NFL, Lance, would have ranked you 17th, right in the middle of the league, which is exactly where you want to be. That's fine. There were between the 7th-ranked team and the 19th ranked team, all between 47 and 39 sacks. 
So that is like the meaty part of the curve, right? If you get into that area, you're fine. You have a good enough pass rush to be successful. Look at some of these teams in that window. The Titans, the Eagles, the Bills, the Patriots, the Jaguars. These are good defenses in that 40 to 39 to 47 sack window. The Cowboys at 39. So if you can just get into there, the Ravens just had 37. They had one of the best defenses in the league, right? So if you can just get into that mix, into that area, you're going to be okay. And I think to your point, and this is how I'll kind of link it back to the first announced move, or one of the first two. I don't remember which one was actually first uh, move the Giants had. And that was uh, James Bradbury. And again, the Giants agreed to contract terms with free agent cornerback James Bradbury, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. The move cannot be made official until free agency begins at 4 p.m. on Wednesday, and it's contingent upon Bradbury passing a physical whenever that might happen. And I think that's them trying to improve the secondary. Because if you take a look, and this was the Patriots the last couple years, you look at what the Lions did last year using Jared Davis as a blitzer. You look at what the Patriots did uh, using their linebackers, Jamie Collins, etc., as blitzers. If the, you don't have that guy that can win one-on-one, -on -one, you can't just rush four. You have to rush more than that. That's what Baltimore did last year, too. You know, Matthew Judon's a good pass rusher, but he's much more in that Marcus Golden class than he's in that Von Miller class. You know oh, what yeah, I mean? Certainly. Absolutely. So they brought extra guys, and they were able to do that because the secondary was good enough to handle their business. So if that's the route the Giants are going to go, to your point, the secondary, with the help of James Bradbury, is going to have to do a better job of handling their end of things this year to give however many guys the Giants bring home. And by the way, if you blitz five or six guys, that'll give the secondary a little bit of an easier time because the quarterback shouldn't have as much time to get the ball out. So it's just a matter of how you want to handle that part of the game. It can work, but one of those two units has to be able to get the job done. Otherwise, the other one's going to get exposed a little bit. And that's why we have these conversations every single year, and most coaches will echo the same sentiments. You can't get away with a team that's built just on the front seven and then expect a secondary, which may not have a lot of playmakers, to just all of a sudden play out of their minds, and vice versa. If you have a strong secondary, you can't expect that they'll single-handedly make up for what you're lacking up front. There needs to be playmakers at every single level. But when the scales, to your point, are tipped, slightly in favor of one facet of your team, sometimes that can be enough to cover up and overshadow some of your issues on the defensive side of the ball. And the reason I bring up New England, John, is because Patrick Graham is a product of the New England coaching staff. Yeah. Joe Judge is a product of the New England coaching staff. And let's face it, during their tenures with Belichick, he's had some good pass rushers, the Richard Seymours, the Chandler Jones who we mentioned, sure. Trey Flowers is another guy I'd bring up, but they weren't an overwhelming defense that had two to three elite guys that were each getting 10 sacks, and you were saying, oh my God, I don't know how our offensive line is going to manage New England, but they did enough, and I think that approach is going to be applied to the Giants, and it goes back to what Joe Judge said at his introductory presser, and I know a lot of people have been quoting this as the Giants are looking to improve the team through free agency. Don't tell me what a guy can't do. Tell me what a guy can do, and let's make it work and apply it to our scheme. And I know I'm paraphrasing the Joe Judge cut, but that was pretty much the emphasis of what he said. And I think 
Patrick Graham is going to do the same thing. He's going to tap into the strengths of these individual guys, and he's going to build the scheme around that as opposed to going into the season saying, okay, we need this guy to get after the quarterback, and if he doesn't, we're absolutely screwed. Yeah, and I think James Bradbury is going to help that because he's going to be a guy, and you saw it last year. I watched almost all of his snaps and pass coverage last year, at least on plays he was targeted on. It was about 80 or 90 plays, and in big games against the Falcons, against the Bucks, against the Texans, and even against the Saints, a lot of times they moved him around to match him up with some of those big time and especially the bigger, more physical wide receivers that they faced last year. You know, the Michael Thomases, the Mike Evans, the DeAndre Hopkins, uh, the Julio Jones. And look, he had his successes against those guys, and those guys beat him a little bit too, which is going to happen uh, when you're playing guys of that caliber. But it'll bring, I think, or rather take some pressure off of DeAndre Baker where he doesn't have to worry about those premium wideouts, and they can have him, to your point, succeed in what he's capable of doing as a second-year player. Whether that's an off-man, impress man, however the Giants decide to use him, I think he was better an off-man last year than impress, And I, I think that Bradbury addition will have a trickle-down effect on the secondary where you're not asking those younger guys to do quite as much. Yeah, I agree with you. And Paul and I had similar conversations the other day. I think the Bradbury edition, which once again is according to multiple reports still pending a physical, is based on the fact that two things. One, to your point, now all of a sudden you're not going in saying DeAndre Baker has to play the opposing number one wide receiver on a consistent basis. You can mix and match because Bradbury's been tested. He's gone up against the elite wide receivers, the Mike Evans of the world, specifically Mike Thomas of the New Orleans Saints, and he's held his own for the most part with those guys. So you feel good. Hey, whenever we go up against a team with at least one elite guy, Bradbury can go with him. Then that takes pressure off of DeAndre Baker, and we could be a little bit more creative in terms of how we utilize Baker. I'm sure these are conversations going on within the coaching room. And then the other side of things. Or, or, or over Skype, considering what we're doing right now. Yes, correct. We did, which brings me to the next part of this conversation. That was a perfect segue. We're reading our minds even in social distancing. It's amazing. Or scary. That Take your pick. Yes, the fact that the off-season schedule right now, John, is very much up in the air. We don't know what the state of OTAs are going to be. We don't know whether or not this is going to mimic a lot of the 2011 off-season when we had a lockout. That means that if you have a veteran guy that can be in communication with the younger core of corners, that's another good voice that Baker, Beal, Ballantyne, Love can lean on outside of the facility in conjunction with, I'm sure they're going to communicate with the coaching staff, but you know, maybe Bradbury has seen things that he's gone through because of reps he's had on the field over his first four years in the league that Baker has not been exposed to and the rest of the guys, and they could just have a conversation on the phone and he could provide that advice. And when you didn't have Janoris Jenkins no longer in the equation, it was really baptism by fire, John, for everybody. It it was everybody experiencing things for the first time. So when you have that veteran voice, I think now that changes the dynamics. Forget on the field. It changes the dynamics of the conversation you're going to have off the field as well. Yeah, and and this kind of brings me back to Fackrell, uh, to your point about the Patriots. He reminds me of a a Kyle Vannoy type, that type of a Trey Flowers type, more of a power pass rusher. He's not like your super bendy, blew up the combine, you know, type of guy. But he is somebody 
that rushes with power, rushes with technique, has longer arms, has good hands. So if he gets in there and you're rushing five or six instead of just four, like the Patriots did a lot of the last couple of years, that will give him a much better chance of getting home. So I think all the, I think both those moves are linked. And again, Fackrell, it's not official. He just agreed to contract terms, according to Adam Schefter. Can't become official until 4 p.m. on Wednesday. And it is, of course, pending a physical. He just seems to fit that type of New England type of pass rusher. Um, that I think does fit the type of stuff that Patrick Graham wants to do. So really, look, and we talked about it, Lance, the whole key to this offseason, and we'll we'll get back to Martinez in a second and uh, the other moves the Giants did, but it was about improving the pass defense to me. That's what you needed to get better on the defensive side of the ball, and we'll see what else happens in terms of pass rushers, but at least in terms of Bradbury, I think you're taking a step in the right direction uh, to improve the pass defense, whether it's the coverage part of it or the pass rush part of it. Well, look back at the numbers from 2019, John, and think about how many explosive plays the Giants gave up through the air. They were right near the top of the league, and that's not good by me saying the top, meaning high volume of big plays for the majority of the season. So with Bradbury, once again, being able to go mano a mano with the number one opposing wide receiver, I think that gives Patrick Graham a little bit more flexibility in how he could protect some of the younger guys that don't have nearly as much experience. Because you're right, they need to take that number and bring that down drastically. As much as we talk about you want to see the sacks go up, well, at the same time, another way to improve your defense is you're not giving up 20-plus yard pass plays. You're not giving up 40-plus yard pass plays, and you're also not allowing those to lead to touchdowns. You know, that's another way that you say, okay, if our sack numbers don't astronomically increase, exponentially increase, then at least we can maybe get some improvement out of the back end, and that means that we're buying more time for guys to get after the quarterback. Absolutely, and that brings us to the other move the Giants um, indicated was pending yesterday, and that's the Blake Martinez agreement. The Giants have agreed to terms with free agent linebacker Blake Martinez, according to NFL Network's Mike Garofolo. The agreement, contingent upon Martinez's passing of a physical, cannot be made official until free agency begins at 4 p.m. on Wednesday. And I had a chance to watch a lot of his tape, Lance. I haven't gone back and watched his coverage snaps in 2018 yet. I did watch 2019. I watched all his pass rush snaps. I watched a lot of his tackles and tackles for loss. And um, the type of player he is, from what I can tell, and frankly, I thought Paul, who Whoever he talked to, and I listened to that part of your show yesterday, I thought he was right on the money with the scouting report. Don't let him know that I told you that. I will but, certainly not. No, please don't. But <laughs> yeah, I think he's someone that's really good inside the tackle box. I think I've seen him shed blockers. He reads and reacts well. He's smart. He gets guys organized. He can be your leader on the field. When he drops back and the play is in front of him in zone defense, I think he does a real nice job. And I, it's funny. I went back. I looked at his combine numbers where he ran a 4-7-1 40-yard dash, and that sounds about right based on what I've seen from him on tape. He's not a guy that's going to fly down the seam or fly sideline to sideline. He's not a guy you want covering really fast guys down the field. Or at least that's something, I shouldn't say that. Let me rephrase. It's something I haven't seen him do on tape, is cover a lot of those guys flying down speed and the faster guys in space. But in short areas, I thought he was pretty quick. I know he has some missed tackles. I didn't think that was a huge problem watching him, on at least the tape that I did. He did have a six nine eight three cone drill, at the combine, which shows me short area quickness. I did see that in tape, on tape. I thought that was pretty good. So we someone's gonna gonna help the middle of that defense in that short zone area. And it frankly, I know Giant fans have been complaining to me on Twitter about it. 
I think he's a guy that if, you know, who knows what's going to happen if they do draft an Isaiah Simmons. I think he's a guy that would fit perfectly next to a Simmons who can do a lot of those freakishly athletic things. Well, it's all about having complementary pieces if you do go in the direction of a guy like Simmons because, you know, he's sort of a jack-of-all-trades type of player. So if he's surrounded by the guys that can get to the quarterback but also, most important, can pursue the football and bring down guys in the process, which is what Blake Martinez is known for, then I I think that balances out the defense. The other thing to take into consideration here, Paul, uh, John, excuse me, so you bring up Paul too much. I know, you should be offended because that's what happens when you bring Dottino up too much and he's not even on the show. It gets embedded (laughs) into my mind, which is a completely bad thing. But getting back to the point as I straighten out my thoughts... Ryan Connolly is coming off the torn ACL. He's another option to line up next to Blake Martinez. John as an interior linebacker. And then, remember, they also, based on reports, again, nothing official. Well, no, this one I think is official. David Mayo, we can say that because he was already an in-house guy. Though that, that is still pending a physical. Okay, so that's important to know. So he he still has to pass his physical in order for that to become final. So Mayo and Connolly are at least two names that can be in the mix to compete for starting jobs next to a Blake Martinez if, per se, they didn't necessarily bring in somebody else through the draft. And Connolly, Connolly showed a lot of positive flashes before, unfortunately, he went down in the early stage of the season, the fourth game against the Redskins. He was active in terms of getting his hand on the football with interceptions in terms of his ability to pursue the ball and bring down runners. So, you know, I think there's still upside. The only concern with Connolly is when you're coming off a serious injury like that, and this goes back to our conversation, John, about Marcus Golden, is he going to be able to pick up where he left off or will it take a year or so till he gets his feet back under him? That remains to be known. And again, you talk, and you mentioned this before, Joe Judge's point at his introductory press conference, you use guys the way they're best designed to be used, right? So I think they're going to use Martinez the right way. And when he had his best year, and again, I still have to watch his coverage snaps in 2018. Next time I'm on, I'll be happy to talk about that. Because that, you know, and just just FYI, folks, it's interesting. Is if you look at pro, folk, pro football focus, they track all these guys through the years, right? And um, I'll give you their grading in a second. But first, I want to read you their little uh, spiel on Blake Martinez on their free agency page, because I think it was interesting. And this is what they write about Blake Martinez. I'm going to read this, okay? And I think this is why he's an interesting player, and I'm curious to see how he gets utilized and kind of um, what kind of player he ends up being. So this is the little blurb that PFF put up on Blake Martinez. After multiple years of strong grading at Stanford and now multiple seasons in the NFL, Blake Martinez has shown all the qualities necessary to be a superstar linebacker and complete player. He's just never shown all the qualities in the same season at the same time. He has earned top-level grades in all facets of the game, but hasn't been able to put them all together in the same season. So that's something to take a look at. Um... If you look back at his grading for Blake Martinez, I'll bring up his grading page now. He actually was giving an 82 coverage grade in 2018 when he was being coached by Patrick Graham. So, again, he was graded not quite as well in 2019 in terms of coverage, was used in a different scheme. So I look forward to going back to see his coverage in 2018 to see why he was so much better there under Graham than he was in 2019. Um, But also in 2018, Lance, they used him a lot as a blitzer. 
And I thought that was very interesting. Just looking in terms of um, the number of snaps he rushed the passer, in 2019, he was used as a pass rusher just 37 times. According to Pro Football Focus in 2018, he was used as a pass rusher 84 times. So, again, we're not talking about an edge rusher here. We're talking about somebody that uses a blitzer. And if you think about the Patriots this year, they used Jamie Collins as a blitzer constantly. That's one of the things they thought he did really well. So maybe that's the type of uh, role they see for Blake Martinez as a guy that's going to rush the passer a lot on third down and not necessarily someone they're going to use to cover on third down. Well, I think those are some interesting points, John. The one thing that I just want to mention is clarification, which relates to what you were talking about, just so that we're not confusing the listeners. Graham was the linebackers coach. He was the linebackers coach and run game defensive coordinator. That is correct. correct. Mike Pettin was the defensive coordinator. So the scheme that Pettin ran did not change necessarily from 18 to 19. It was just a matter of Martinez and Fackrell had the voice of Graham in their ear in the actual linebacker's room because he was their main positional coach. But they didn't drastically change the scheme from 18 to 19, so they were still running pretty much the scheme. And, you know, listen, this is us just connecting the dots and speculating a bit. Who knows what the difference was? Was the difference Patrick Graham and the positional coach? Was the difference, to your point, maybe Pennon did mix things up in 19 when Graham left and asked some of these guys to do something differently yeah, I don't know. than they weren't question. asked to do? Yeah, I mean, that's a mystery right now. Yeah, and honestly, I look forward to That's why I really – it's funny. I was going to get to that 2018 coverage tape today, but around 11 o'clock, Clara said, Daddy, let's go outside. I said, <laughs> hey, Clara, I want to watch Blake Martinez 2018 coverage tape. And for some reason, she didn't seem to care about that. So yeah, I'm not what? surprised at all by that, John. So, so, so guess what? I went outside, so I did not get to the 2018 <laughs> coverage tape before the show. Uh, I will do it this afternoon or tonight. But, yeah, I'm really curious to see – why he had such a higher grade from PFF in 2018 than 2019. I can tell you in 2019, you know, they didn't ask him to play a lot of man-to-man defense uh, in coverage. It was mostly zone in the middle of the field. So I'm curious to see how they decide to use him in 2018. Well, John, here's the other thing that I'm curious about, too, as I look back as well, is the fact that how much did the arrival of Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith change Mike Pettin's thinking yeah, maybe it of what it a lot. he asked the linebackers Well, think do. about this way. Maybe he thought – Think we talked about this before, right? Maybe having those two guys there, Lance, he's like, I can get to the quarterback with four guys now. I don't need to blitz my other linebackers, exactly. and that's why he didn't blitz as much. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking off the surface because all of a sudden you're giving Mike Pettin two guys that are double-digit sack guys. Right. So are you really going to now ask Blake Martinez and Fackrell to go as aggressively after the quarterback if you know that the two Smiths can get the job done? I mean, anybody who connects those dots once again, I think would come to the realization, no, you're going to change things up. So I think that, to me, had a significant impact in terms of how those two linebackers are utilized in 19 versus 18. Yes, and then you have Levine Toilolo, the other agreement. The Giants agreed to contract terms at free agent tight end Levine Toilolo, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. The agreement, contingent on Toilolo passing his physical, cannot be made official until Wednesday at the earliest at 4 p.m., and it won't be official until they have that physical thing squared away, which we have to wait and see. Uh, we're not going to have that usual stream of official signings, Lance, at 4 o'clock today uh, that we expected. 
um, because of the whole issues with guys traveling to get physicals done. So we're going to have to kind of wait and see on a lot of these things. I'll just say one thing very quickly on Toy Lolo, and I think this will describe how I think the Giants will use him fairly well. Red Ellison retired. He's not with the team anymore. Toy Lolo replaces him. Same type of role, same type of skill set, a little bit taller, he's 6'8", but I think that's the type of role he's going to play. Uh, a blocker, can catch a little bit, not super explosive, but he's a guy that's going to help the team win games. Yeah, I'm completely with you. You look at his numbers, John. He's been in the league for quite some time. The Falcons, the Lions, the Niners. He has just over 90 career receptions. So he's not a high-volume target guy. He's more than capable of catching the football, don't get me wrong, but... He was asked as almost an additional offensive lineman. That, that's what they wanted him to be, especially in San Francisco. You got George Kittle, the team he's coming from. So we know Kittle's the established receiving back. Now, don't get me wrong. Kittle's an exceptional blocker, too. Oh, yeah, he is. when you have Kittle and Toilolo on the field at the same time, you're not asking, more often than not, Kittle to stay back and Toilolo to run <laughs> routes. It's the reverse. So he absolutely fits the void left behind by Ellison's retirement. And I told this story on yesterday's show, and I'm going to repeat it again because obviously our listeners turn over a bit. When sure. I when Toilolo comes up, the one story I always revert back to is 2014. He's with the Falcons. They're playing the Vikings early in the season, week four. The Falcons' offensive line is decimated by injuries, John. And they're losing these guys. They're dropping like flies the entire season. I mean, that's been the MO for Atlanta over the last few years. But this season in particular, everybody's getting hammered. So they lose their right tackle. They lose some interior guys. They have no offensive lineman left. They asked Toy Lolo to actually finish the game at right tackle. So that just goes to show you he's more than capable. I'm not saying that he's holding his own throughout every single snap an entire game and the Giants are going to ask him to do this. But based on his frame, based on what he's been asked to do previously, Toy Lolo is a blocker. Okay, that is his main purpose. And the icing on the cake is his ability to certainly still go out and run routes when they have two tight ends on the field and haul in a pass or two. Can't, dis- uh, can't agree more. I'm with you 100%. All right, let's go around the league a little bit. I didn't miss anything, I don't think, in the last 30 minutes, um, though I do have a big red blinking, breaking news sign on the bottom here. Oh, Bears to trade quarterback. Oh, wait, Jaguars, I believe, just traded Nick Foles they to the did. Bears for a fourth-round pick, according to Mike Garofolo. Are you seeing that as well? Yes, I am seeing this. Adam Schefter is reporting it, too, that Jacksonville is going to trade Nick Foles wow. to the Bears. A compensatory fourth-round pick is what Adam Schefter is saying in return. Let me look at – I'm just curious when Nick Foles is con- – is, because if Nick Foles has – because I know the Jaguars couldn't cut him because there would be so much dead money on the cap. Yeah. Because I think that's, though, because his base salary is guaranteed, not necessarily because of prorated signing bonus, which is why the – trade would be possible without them suffering a lot of dead money on the cap. We'll load that up. But there were a lot of talk that the Bears were looking for a quarterback to at least compete with Mitch Trubisky. Chase Daniel signed with somebody, Detroit, thank you, to back up Matthew Stafford. So they did not have a backup. And now Foles will compete for that starting job. And, yeah, it looks like... There was only about, uh, if I do quick math in my head, about $4.5 million of prorated signing bonus left, and it was his base salary that was fully guaranteed, which is why the Jaguars are able to make this trade without taking too big of a salary cap hit. And it shows that they have confidence in Gardner Minshew, but now 
Mitch Trubisky is going to get pushed a little bit here, Lance, to be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Well, and he would have to be living in a bubble if he didn't realize, <laughs> John, that the Bears are going to make a move. So I, I would hope that if you're Trubisky, you're not necessarily stunned by this move. But you know, here's where, again, it goes back to relationships. Matt Nagy was in Kansas City with Doug Peterson. And who was there at one point as the backup quarterback? Nick Foles. So here you go again where you're bringing in somebody that you've had a working relationship with that you believe knows your offense, has a feel for the offense, and could come in with a shortened offseason potentially, compete, push Trubisky, and very well win the starting job. Because, you know, the Bears' defense is not the problem. If there's anything that clearly held back the Bears this season compared to 2018, it was the offense and the lack of productivity and the decision-making of the quarterback. But, you know, you give the Bears a respectable quarterback, you know, I like their chances certainly competing within that division and making some noise. So I would have been stunned if the Bears didn't make a move. I was actually expecting, John, I thought they would have made – a strong push, and there was a report from Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports earlier today that they had conversations with the Panthers about Cam, and I think Cam is an ideal fit for that Chicago offense, the RPOs. Yeah, I would have yeah. thought they would have been all in, especially there's a good chance the Panthers would have just outright released him if they didn't find a trade partner, and then the Bears wouldn't have had to give up anything. They just obviously would have had to negotiate a new contract. Well, I guess now I was going to do edge rushers first, but we're on quarterbacks. You might also do kind of the quarterback carousel here in the National Football League because there has been some news if you guys haven't been living under a rock during your isolation period the last day <laughs> or so. Uh, you guys talked about yesterday that Brady wasn't going back to the Patriots. They had not yet made a decision on where he was going. And to my surprise, I always thought he was going to be Chargers bound just because I thought they had a better team and maybe a scheme that fit what he was good at. But instead, he is heading to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And here's why I think this is interesting, Lance. And I'll put the Tom Brady legacy aside. We could talk about that another time. We're going to have plenty of shows where we got to fill time. So to me, this is interesting because Bruce Arians likes to throw the ball down the field. He's one of the most vertical passing games in the whole league. Look, I still think Tom Brady's an excellent quarterback. I think the weapons around him hurt him a lot last year. But I think it's impossible not to notice that his arm strength isn't what it used to be. It's still good enough. But is Bruce Arians now going to have to change a little bit the nature of his passing attack to fit the type of things that Brady is really good at? And... Is Ronald Jones, can he be that type of receiving back that Brady likes to throw to? Who's going to be their slot receiver to complement Godwin and Evans outside? Can O.J. Howard become that Gronk type of guy? I think fitting Brady into what they have in Tampa will be a lot of fun to watch. It can work, but I do think adjustments are going to have to be made on both sides. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think also you need to look at the state of the Bucks' offensive line. Oh, good point. Let's face it. While I know I've seen some rankings that have put them in a respectable area, I think that you look at the fact Jameis Winston was sacked 47 times last year. Now, granted, Jameis also is at fault, holding on to the ball a little too long. So let's not put that all solely on the offensive and line. And by the but, way, it's also a nature of the passing attack. If you're throwing down the field, you have to hold the ball longer. Of course. So that goes hand in hand. And, you know, Brady's not the most mobile quarterback. I'm not no. telling you anything you haven't heard. No. So you still need, as fast as he gets rid of the football, John, you still need the ability for him to survey the field for a second or two. So, you know, that to me remains a big question. I think you hit on a very key point about Ronald Jones as a receiving back because I think think 
Arians is going to make adjustments. And I don't think the whole offense is going to factor around Brady going for the home run, even though he certainly has the weaponry in Mike Evans. I think they're going to try to get guys out into open space. I think Brady getting rid of the football quickly will help. But that reflects and revolves around the guys who are the supporting cast being very efficient in terms of their route running. And to your point, the running back specifically being able to anticipate the football coming to him immediately as soon as the snap comes. So that, to me, remains to be seen. And there's a lot of whispers. They may pursue Antonio Brown. That supposedly Brady wants A.B. to come with him no matter where he went. Now, granted, there's still some issues in terms of perhaps the league maybe punishing him for some off-the-field behavior. But if Tampa Bay wants to take that risk, and remember, Bruce Arians was in Pittsburgh with Antonio Brown, so there's that connection. That wouldn't stun me, but the more and more weapons you give Tom Brady, I'm sure they're going to find a way to make it work because here's the other guy that doesn't get enough credit, John. It's not just Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay. Remember, Tom Moore is there, and Tom Moore was with Peyton Manning in Indianapolis. So think about between him, between Arians, between Todd Bowles and the job he did on the defensive side of the ball and it with them keeping Shaq Barrett with the franchise tag, and I think that unit made some strides later in the season. There's a lot to like right now on paper, at least in Tampa yeah. Bay. Would you, and this is the last thing I say on this topic, we can get back to it another time. I want to get to the rest of the signings and moves and other guys still available in free agency. Would you consider the Bucks? and I'll tell you right away, I do not, the favorite to win the NFC South? And if you had to guess, do you think they're the second best team in the division or the third best team in the division? That's a great question. I would still put the Saints as number one. So would I. Because I think the Saints have a more proven track record, and I think you should always give that team the benefit of the doubt. And the Saints have a better defense, too, which is a huge part of it. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Then... I would say the Bucks, though, are in serious contention for number two. I agree. I, I think them and the Falcons are kind of neck and neck there. Yeah, but, you know, Atlanta still has a lot of question marks. They just parted ways with Devontae Freeman. Uh, Vic Beasley, I know they weren't going to re-sign anyway. But, you know, who's going to be part of the pass rush? It can't just be Grady Jarrett and the rest of the world, okay? They need somebody to consistently get after the quarterback. And we've got to see, once again, what happens with that offensive line. Every year we talk about the Falcons' offensive line. Oh, they brought this guy in. And then every year... Week 10 comes along, and we're talking about Matt Ryan being on his back. So (laughs) I want to see what develops there. And Carolina is going through a complete transition with a first-time NFL head coach in Matt Rule. I know Teddy Bridgewater's there. Joe Brady, who's their OC, was with him in New Orleans for a year. So, you know, there's the connections. But Carolina right now is a work in progress because of a new scheme and some new personnel. So Tampa Bay, with their coaching staff in place and some of their proven commodities, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they should be in line for the number two spot at worst in the NFC South. Yes, I think that'll be a good competition. I think all three of those teams we just mentioned can be competing for playoff spots in the NFC next year, especially with that extended playoff situation. Uh, Phillip Rivers to the Indianapolis Colts. This was my landing spot for him. I love him being in a dome. Lance, it looked like maybe he did lose some arm strength last year, but I think getting inside uh, into a nice building into a good division where you have other, you know, pretty good weather buildings in that division. I think it's going to help him. I think it's a good fit. I think it's good for the Colts to get him on the one-year deal to see what he has left. And I think, I was going to say, it very much keeps the Colts alive to pick a quarterback in the first round, but they don't have a first-round pick anymore because they traded it for DeForest Buckner. That's right. They got him from San Francisco, which is another reason why I like the Colts. And I'll get to Rivers in a second, but DeForest Buckner, 
you're going to put now with Justin Houston, yep. who came over from Kansas City. You got Darius Leonard, who I still think is the steal of the draft a few years ago. And that's a nice unit that Matt Eberflus, their defensive coordinator, has really retooled. But to your point about Rivers, this is what I've been hearing in the wake of this signing. A lot of people are down on it. They say, I'd rather have Jacoby Brissett than yeah. give Phillip Rivers a one-year deal, which I don't understand. Neither do I. Because here's the thing. I agree with you. Is Rivers the same quarterback he once was? No. Is there some questions that are valid about his arm strength? Absolutely. But what I think a lot of people are just breezing by, the Chargers have not had stability, John, on that offensive line for not a year, for not two years. You could argue for maybe a decade, despite the fact that they did get to the playoffs. It's been a revolving door. I've even had conversations on the air with former executives of the Chargers who have gone on the record saying, I don't think we did enough giving Phillip Rivers the necessary help on the offensive line. So if people in the building are admitting that, okay, (laughs) then I don't think we need to stretch it out to bring that up as a point. So he's going from an offensive line that was without the left tackle, Russell Okun, for the majority of last season because he was out with a pulmonary embolism Mike Pouncey, their center, was also hurt to now an offensive line that has Anthony Costanzo coming back at one tackle, and they just drafted Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith, who really wowed a lot of people as just rookies and then some. So you take all that into consideration. You're giving him stability in the trenches, and I like the running game with Marlon Mack. I like the defense. Am I a little bit concerned, John, about his targets in the receiving game? Yes, that's a downgrade compared to what he was working with with the Chargers. And they had the case of the dropsies outside of T.Y. Hilton. So that's something that I'm going to monitor. I think with the deep receiving core in the draft, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe they look to invest in a young guy. That remains to be seen. But I actually like the environment for Phillip Rivers. Yeah, and I too. love the fact that he's reunited with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, the offensive coordinator who were with him with the Chargers. So I just I don't think enough people are looking at those facts. I think they're just looking at Phillip Rivers on an island and saying, well, his arm strength is not there. He's not the same quarterback, and he turned it over too much. But wait a minute. Weren't the turnovers, wasn't some of the bad decisions a product of the lack of pass protection? Don't those things go hand in hand? So that's what I think a lot of people are overlooking. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. A couple other quarterback nuggets before we hit the other positions. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater to the Carolina Panthers, according to reports. Cam Newton, and he was quite public about it on social media. Oh, yes. Has been, and <laughs> apparently not by his choice, has been given permission by the Panthers uh, to find the trade, which could be difficult now if teams are worried about his health. Can he get a physical? Then is that going to depress interest? Who knows? So really, Lance, a lot of these quarterback spots have been filled now. There aren't many spots where there's an opening. I mean, you have New England. You yeah. know, who knows well, about I, I was going to name Stidham. that team, yeah. And, but, uh, you know, I, it just to me, and this feel, it just for some reason, it just feels like a good fit. Doesn't Andy Dalton going there just seem like it makes sense to you? It yeah, just he, feels right to me. I don't know why. It just does. No, it does. He's a veteran, polished quarterback. People forget, you know, he and Marvin Lewis, I know everybody makes it out to be as if, well, they couldn't get out of the first round if their life depended on it, but they made the playoffs five straight years, and he took over as a rookie in a lockout offseason. Remember, 2011 when he was drafted, he had no offseason, and he adjusted to that offense, and they won at least nine games in each of their first five seasons together. The last few years, once again, similar to Phillip Rivers, the environment, John, around the quarterback has changed. He's had injuries with A.J. Green. The offensive line hasn't been the same. They haven't had much of a running game until Joe Mixon came along, and the defense, I think, has fallen off since Paul Gunther and even going back to Mike Zimmer leaving. So you, know, you gotta look at all of those facts. You can't just say, oh, Andy Dalton's been a 
disappointment. He doesn't achieve everything himself. I agree with you. I think from a logical standpoint, it does make sense for New England. I find it hard to believe that Jared Stidham is going to be their answer. But I also wouldn't rule out, perhaps, New England maybe pulling off a trade here that we never anticipated. Just like who would have thought Jacksonville would have shipped out Nick Foles this quickly to Chicago. So, you know, Belichick and the Patriots, here's the one thing I do believe. I don't think the Brady news was shocking to them. I think it was shocking to fans and people who cover the NFL because it's hard to envision Brady at this stage in his career suiting up with another team, learning a new offense. But I think that... They were planning for life without Brady, and that means that Belichick and company have had conversations to either explore a trade or maybe make a move in the draft that we're not necessarily anticipating either. I wouldn't rule that out. Very possible. I remember they don't have their second-round pick because of the Mohamed Sanu trade, but they did get two third-round compensatory picks, if memory serves me right, Lance. So they will have draft capital, and then in future years, if they want to move up, they can as well. And trust me. Bill Belichick does not get caught with his proverbial pants down. He will have a plan. He will be prepared. So that's the quarterbacks. Let's go through a couple other division moves here, Lance, and then we'll touch on some of the guys that are still available before we wrap up here. I'll get to one or two questions, too, from the fans before we say goodbye. I like to save a lot of these just because we're not going to have a lot of news moving forward. We're kind of through the avalanche. So the more of these we have down the road, the better. Um, But I will get to those in just a second. Lance, some moving in the division. You guys mentioned Hargrave going to the Eagles yesterday. Um, The Eagles letting go of uh, Malcolm Jenkins today. Rumors he might go back to the Saints. The Saints were his former team. They have expressed Sean Payton publicly that they regret letting him go. The Cowboys extremely busy. They lost a bunch of players. Uh, Apparently they have an excel Express going from Dallas to Las <laughs> Vegas with Jeff Heath, Jeff Heath, Malik Collins, and Jason Witten all going to the Raiders. Randall Cobb signing with the Texans. Uh, we They lost Byron Jones earlier in free agency. Right now they're in line for four compensatory picks, including two threes, and then maybe a four and a five, depending on the size of that Malik Collins contract. They try to mitigate that loss. They do re-sign Amari Cooper, making him, I believe, the second highest paid wide receiver. Correct, right if, behind Julio Jones. Right? An average annual salary, of course. Correct. At five years, $100 million. There were some reports out there that he was offered more by the Redskins, but he wanted to stay, so he stayed. Uh, that has not been confirmed, but it was a report that was certainly out there. And the Cowboys also signing Gerald McCoy. He would be the replacement for Malik Collins at that three-technique defensive tackle spot on, on a fairly, if the reports are correct, uh, cost-conscious contract. So um, that's the moves that Dallas and Philly have made over the past couple of days. Well, you went over everything that Dallas has done. There's been a lot of activity coming and going. I really like the McCoy move. I think McCoy is good value. And also, you can maybe even argue an upgrade over Malik Collins. They're expecting to get Tyrone Crawford back after he missed the bulk of the second half of the season with an injury. They still have Demarcus Lawrence, and they have Antoine Woods. So that, to me, I'm envisioning that's going to be Mike Nolan's front four. He's probably going to have different variations because he runs multiple fronts. Now, the question is, Lance, do you think they'll want to add another edge rusher to replace Robert Quinn, who signed with the Bears. Well, I think that's logical. Maybe they do that in the draft. Maybe they get somebody in the second wave. However, remember, Crawford could play both positions, John. No, he can. You're right. So he's more than capable of being a defensive tackle and a defensive end. Now, if you want to go for somebody more explosive or somebody with a little bit more upside, yes, I would agree with you. That makes sense. But I think at least on paper, I think they feel good that they've got a starting four. 
What type of variations they use, that remains to be seen. The secondary, you've got a lot of young guys that were playing around Jones. So, you know, if they take a chance on a veteran corner, maybe on a good deal, that wouldn't surprise me. They also brought back, it's important to mention, according to report, Sean Lee, which I think is important because, remember, Leighton Van Der Esch all of a sudden got plagued by the injury bug last year with the neck injury. And, and by whenever the way, you're talking the, about a neck injury. Yeah, those are fishy, man. Ooh. Exactly. And... You know, this even caught me by surprise. I went back and I looked at Sean Lee's numbers. Sean Lee actually played 16 games last year. But you know why? Because he only played about 15 snaps a game, well, so he was able to stay healthy. <laughs> exactly. But that's why, to me, it makes sense to bring him back on a one-year yeah, deal. Sure, absolutely. Because you're not going to go in planning to play him X amount of snaps. But if somebody goes down, at least he can take on a little bit more of the workload. But as far as the offense is concerned... Amari Cooper, to me, was extremely important for them to retain after they gave up a first-round pick. And what Cooper did for Michael Gallup was so critical. So you don't want to now expect Gallup to be your number one and not have any help. And I don't know if you heard online, there's been some whispers, John, that Emmanuel Sanders, who's a Texas native, who's a free agent after being acquired by the Niners, that he has some interest mm. in joining the Cowboys. Now, I don't know financially how the hell they would make something like that work. Yes, but- Lance, to me, this is such a good draft wide receiver class. I think you just go find someone in the middle rounds, plug them into that slot spot, and you're happy. And I think that makes sense. And this way you have it on a rookie contract. But I do think it is attractive if Sanders wants to not have to commit to a big deal and maybe he's willing to take a short-term deal. You put Emmanuel Sanders with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup around Dak with Zeke and that offensive line, uh, that's a very attractive group. And you know Jerry Jones and his thinking sometimes, John. It's not necessarily go for the financial move. It's to go for the shiny move out there in free agency. So that's the only reason why I bring that up. No, I hear you. And they have to make a move in the defensive backfield, too. Anthony Brown, yeah. a free agent. They lost Byron Jones. So they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do a cornerback as well, which could cancel out some of those comp picks I was talking about before. All right, let's talk about some of the guys that are still available on the market. Lance, I know Giant fans, and we've talked about the edge rushers a lot. Not many of the guys are left. Between the guys that have been franchised and have been signed, I'm looking at lists here. Um, you have Everson Griffin. He's still a free agent. He has not been signed yet. Now he's a little bit older, obviously, 32 years old. But, but has someone, been productive. Yes, a very good, you know, very good career. And he's still a very good player. Um, I'm looking to see what else do we have here. I do not. Dante Fowler would probably, I guess, be, given his age, probably the, the, the second most coveted guy that's still out there on the market. Leonard Floyd was let go by the Bears yep. on Tuesday. He's someone you can go after. Vic Beasley got signed. Jason Pierre-Paul got signed. Emmanuel Agbo got signed. Carl Nassib got signed. So there aren't many guys left. And, of course, the elephant in the room, and this will go to a couple questions I have here. This from Joshua and Jonathan. I know Jadavian Clowney will be expensive, but why wouldn't the Giants go after him given their cap space? Wouldn't it make the team better? So what's the calculation in your mind, not just for the Giants, but any team taking a look at Jadavian Clowney right now as to whether or not it would be a good idea to bring him in at, I'm sure, the type of cost he's looking at. And there was a pro football talk report earlier today that Jadavian Clowney not thrilled that he's not getting the type of offers he expected in free agency. Yeah, I actually want to read a tweet from Mike Garofolo oh, on ahead. that very subject because a few hours ago he was the one that broke this story and he tweeted the following. To be clear, 
He's in line, referring to Clowney, to make a lot of money, but it sounds like his camp's expectations were at the top of the market, and they're not there, not yet anyway, end quote. There's also been some whispers that maybe he winds up back in Seattle because of the disappointment in the market and the Seahawks can afford to bring him back. I wouldn't rule that out. But what's going to happen is you're going to have teams that missed out on the home run pass rushers, and I think they're going to realize the market has changed, and maybe they now come back into the running on Clowney. So just because he may have miscalculated it, according to Garofolo, doesn't mean that there's not going to be a lot of suitors right. out there, John. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And by the way, maybe because of the whole issue with him coming off an injury, he had that core muscle injury last year, you can't do the physical thing, maybe it'd be in his best interest to do a one-year deal. And then when things are more normal, God willing, next offseason, yeah. uh, he'll be able to try to get more of a long-term deal. No, I think that's actually a great point. You know who I point to? Look at Shaq Barrett. Yep. Now, Shaq Barrett wasn't a guy that had to deal with injury questions, but remember, Shaq Barrett just didn't get the market. Things just didn't play out maybe the way that he envisioned. So he said to himself, all right, I'll sign with Tampa Bay for a year, a manageable contract for them, and look at what he did. He went out. He had 19 and a half sacks. He had an unbelievable season. He led the NFL in that category. And now, granted, he didn't get a long-term deal, but he got the franchise tag out of it, and certainly his stock skyrocketed. So if Clowney were to do that, though, he would have to bank on two things happening, John. And that's why there's, I think, risk involved from his standpoint. Number one, he'd have to stay healthy. Okay, that's obvious. But number two, he'd also have to put up a career type of year in order to say that somebody the following year wants to come out and just explode with an offer. So I don't know if he and his reps actually are willing to go down that road. Yeah, I don't know either. And of course, his one-year contract would not be nearly as reasonable as the one that Shaq Barrett signed. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I know you weren't implying that. I just want to make sure the fans understand that. uh, You know, he he would get a very, very lucrative one-year deal, obviously. And then, you know, he can make an agreement, too. You can't franchise tag me. So that's much like he did when he got traded to the Seahawks. That's exactly what he did. Exactly. So he could do that again and go to one. It couldn't even be. Maybe it's a different team. Maybe it's not Seattle. Goes to that team for a year, and then he hits the market again if he wants. Or, to Mike Garofolo's point, and I see that tweet you were referencing, there's a market out there. Just maybe it's not you know the highest paid edge rusher, but if he can get close, maybe that's good enough for him in a long-term deal. So that'll be something Clowney has to decide. And then I guess the other big fish is Fowler, right? He's a younger guy. He doesn't have the injury issues. His production is a little bit up, little bit up and down over the course of his career. Um, but that's where the edge market is right now. Um, We'll look at the linebacker market, Lance, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because obviously uh, the Giants already did sign a linebacker in Blake Martinez, but you saw the top of that market kind of taken off the last couple of days. Corey Littleton uh, getting signed by the Oakland Raiders, who have been very busy. Joe Schobert signed the free agent contract as well. What team did he go to again, Lance Schobert? Schober went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Thank you. Jamie Collins, as Matt Patricia tries to just gather as many former Patriots as possible, he went to the <laughs> Detroit Lions, and Kwiatkowski went to the Raiders. So that off-ball linebacker market has really been um, kind of liquidated. There's not a whole lot left there left on the shelves. Yeah, because you remember, you got two types of linebackers. You got the outside guys that are more in the pass rushing department, and then you have the interior guys. Now, from our conversations that we had on this show leading up to free agency, I think many across the NFL landscape felt that Corey Littleton was probably the top-ranked interior guy. 
and he wound up going to the Raiders. Now, Schobert was certainly on the second level. He's been a very productive linebacker for the Cleveland Browns, and it's no surprise that both of these guys were eaten up relatively quickly because, listen, that's how the market works. In Oakland slash Las Vegas, whatever you want to call them at this point, the Raiders were desperate for defensive playmakers, so I'm not stunned at all. You know, they were interested in Byron Jones. They just missed out on him. He went to the Dolphins, so you knew Mike Mayock, their general manager, was not going to let another defensive playmaker slip away, and Schobert going to Jacksonville. Remember, Jacksonville's a team that's completely revamping its defense. I mean, look at who they had in 2017 when they went to the AFC Championship game, and look at who they have now. It's amazing, the turnover rate on that defensive side of the ball. It sort of reminds me of, you know, the Giants in 2016 when they brought in those big names, and then a few years later, all of a sudden, John, they're all gone. You know, life in the NFL comes at you fast. That's why you can't get so caught up in, you know, what's going to happen in 2021 or 22 when we've seen rosters change immensely from one year to the other. But, you know, as far as the linebacker market, to your point, goes, I don't think it's surprising. A lot of the top names are no longer out there. And based on what the Giants did, according to multiple reports, and remember all pending based on physicals, they address the interior and the exterior. And remember, there's still an opportunity in the draft if they feel they want to add more depth at that position. Yeah, no question about it. And just taking a look at, um, I should have mentioned, by the way, Kyle Van Oy uh, went to the Dolphins as they acquire a former yeah. Patriot. As all these Patriot guys just want former Patriots. It's funny how that works. Um, one market that I actually I still think is, is actually pretty robust here, Lance, is the cornerback position. Even though Byron Jones got signed uh, by the Miami Dolphins, and boy, they have a couple pretty good, good uh, corners there now, don't they? Um, there are a couple of guys in that group that have not been signed yet. Chris Harris, a good veteran cornerback who can play the slot. Uh, Nikel Roby Coleman was let go by the Rams. He is a very solid nickel cornerback. He's still on the market. We've mentioned Logan Ryan. He's on the market at 29 years of age. He can play the slot. Trey Wayne's got signed. Prince Ubukamar is still available. Brian Poole is still available. Bradley Roby's been picked up. But there are still a number of cornerbacks here that I think teams are probably pretty comfortable playing significant snaps for them that are still on the open market. That group has not been gobbled up quite as quickly as some of the others. Well, all the guys you just mentioned are veterans. I mean, that's pretty much what they have in common. So perhaps I think a lot of teams are saying, let's see how the market plays out elsewhere. Let's also see how our draft evaluations carry out. And I'm sure there's some teams that are going to be interested in going after Jeff Okuda, and they'd rather offer him the reps as opposed to a veteran. That, I'm sure, is part of that line of thinking. You know, a number of the guys you brought up, Chris Harris is certainly a top corner. He was with Denver most recently. He was looking for a new contract. He's looking to cash in. So he's probably going to be on the higher side of that group based on the other names you threw out there. Remember, free agency tends to come fast and furious at the beginning, and then piecemeal it plays out. So, you know, every day there's going to be a new splash, and sometimes teams just wait. They wait to see, you know, which team was ultra-aggressive and now which team used up most of its cap space. So then now we can maybe go in on a player that we were hoping would jump down to the second wave. So I would not be surprised if maybe that's how the cornerback market plays out. Interestingly, you brought up Logan Ryan. 
if he doesn't go to the Dolphins or the Lions, it would be a disappointment <laughs> considering he's also a former Patriot. John. It really, dude, the, the, Patricia's been just hoarding them. The Dolphins <laughs> have picked up a couple of them. It, it, it's, it's really been wild. And Bill Belichick is happy to let all these guys leave and just take all the compensatory draft picks that Apparently, come Apparently, yeah. It's amazing. Um, I, the other position I want to touch on real quickly before we say goodbye, I, I know we're over an hour, but what else do you guys have to do? We're all quarantined, so why not? Of course. Um, offensive line, the tackle position. Uh, the Giants right now do not have a starting right tackle. I guess by default it would be Nick Gates right now, Lance, I guess That's based fair. on the guys that are on the roster. But he's played, I think, two games that Mike Grummer's missed at that spot from last season. So to just kind of put him in there and say, oh, he's your guy, I think you know that's a little presumptuous. You at least want some competition at that spot. Anthony Costanzo, he went back to the Colts, which is what everyone expected. Jack Conklin went to the Cleveland Browns. They were a team that really needed offensive tackle help. Now, here are the guys that are left. Andrew Whitworth, 38 years old. Jason Peters, 38 years old. Uh, DJ Humphreys got re-signed by the Cardinals. Has Brian Balaga got signed by somebody yes, yet? Yes, Brian Balaga went to the Chargers. He went to the Chargers. Yes. Thank you. I thought that I saw that. DeMar Dotson, who was a starting right tackle for the Bucks last year, he's a free agent, but he has some injury issues. So that's something to keep an eye on there. Cordy Glenn, he's the guy, more of a veteran. He's had injury issues in the past. So what's the interest going to be for him? Or maybe the Giants just want to bring back a Mike Remmers. Who knows? That's an option if they can get him on a reasonable deal again. He did a solid job he did. playing tackle for them last year. So offensive tackle is still very much in the mix here for the Giants in free agency. Or, or of course, we've talked about this uh, the last month or so since the combine lands. Uh, it is a very uh, robust position in the draft for the first time in a long time as well. Yeah, the draft is exactly where I was going to go, so I'm glad you brought that up. You can't lose sight that they can easily address the position there. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think Remmers was somewhat of an underrated addition late in the offseason last year and you know, was able to fill in at that spot when there were some question marks. And as far as Nick Gates, the one thing I'll add to what you said, and this is, once again, is not a negative reflection on Nick Gates, but what happens, John, when a new coaching staff comes in and a new positional coach? They see Pat players Shermer, differently, yeah. Yeah, Pat Shermer spoke very highly of Nick Gates for the two times that he started, to your point. And I think Nick Gates did hold his own. But just because Pat Shermer saw that, and just because the previous coaching staff saw that, does not mean that Joe Judge and Mark Colombo, the offensive line coach, feel the same way. I don't know. You know, these guys have not spoken publicly, you know, since the staff was put together. We've Famously. got a long way to go. <laughs> so, well, of course, there's been restrictions on that too. Yes. But let's see what happens with respect to the guys that performed admirably last season. We just don't know how they're viewed in the eyes of the new coaching staff. But I think Gates is certainly an option. Remmers is still out there, and the draft has not happened yet. So it's not as if the Giants are running out of options, to your point, that there's no way they can address the tackle spot. And Halapula Vati Vaitai. There we go. You like that one? That's pretty good, huh? He also signed a very lucrative contract oh, to yeah. be a starting tackle, so he got paid. Um, besides the tackle, we should talk about the centers very quickly. I know that's a position that some Giant fans have asked us about over the course of the last few weeks. Connor McGovern will be playing in MetLife Stadium this year. But it's going to be for the New York Football Jets. So. Wow, what, what a headline. You like that one? Um, <laughs> Ted Karras just signed the one-year deal. Was he the Dolphins, Karras? Yes. He was the Dolphins. There we go, another former Patriot, Former Patriot, shocking, yeah. I know. So uh, the center market, I'm not going to say it's drying up, but there aren't a ton of guys that are out there either. So uh, the Giants will have the option to go with the combination of Spencer Pulley. Um, there's no word on, on John Halapio uh, as of this recording. 
So we'll we'll see exactly what happens there, but they could try to add a center in the draft or somebody else, or maybe they think Nick Gates is a center too. That's something that guy mentioned about him last year also. So who knows how they see him, what position he can even play. So that's a position we can keep an eye on moving forward too. Yeah, Gates has had experience at all five positions on the offensive line. So that speaks volumes of his versatility. He's always an option there. Jalapio, the last we heard was that he was undergoing surgery right at the beginning of January. Dave Gettleman announced that when they were looking for a new head coach. But you know, a long journey, obviously, in terms of the recovery. And remember, when Spencer Pulley was added back to the team, he signed a multi-year contract, John. So it's it's not as if they don't have him locked up as an option, but he was thrown into the fire once, obviously, Jalapio got hurt again. And, you know, he had been asked to do that previously. Does the coaching staff, Mark Colombo, view him the same way that perhaps the previous regime did? Once again, a question that is looming that we don't know the answers to, but you can always address that in other areas. Here's the other thing. Guys are going to be probably let go, perhaps, as the calendar moves forward too, John. So, you know, that's another thing. Sometimes a guy is all of a sudden on the market that you never anticipated. That we can't lose sight of as well. For example, Mike Remmers wasn't necessarily an equivalent of what I'm talking about, but Remmers was the type of guy last year. He was out on the market for quite some time because he was working his way back from injury. The Giants brought him in. They wanted to see where he was health-wise. They had multiple conversations. And then all of a sudden, right near camp, The green light came across, and they said, hey, come on board. There's always players like that, and that happens every single offseason. Yeah, no question about it. Lance, anything else you want to touch on before you say goodbye? I think we kind of hit everything out of the ballpark. Well, if we wait any longer, we're going to have to wind up doing another show because it seems as if more and more news comes in every single second. So, I mean, I think we've tackled everything and then some. Awesome. Lance, good stuff. Uh, Tomorrow it will be, I believe, Paul Dettino and Lance Meadow, or is it Dettino and Fiegel's tomorrow? It's Dettino and Fiegel's, I believe. And then you will be with Dettino on Friday, correct? Or I think I may be with Jeff. You can see the schedule, even whether we're in person or not, (laughs) you can tell the organization (laughs) has remained the same. Now, here's the thing. Everyone there, now, 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 to be fair to me, everyone knows what days they're on. I just don't have everyone else's schedules memorized the way I have my schedule memorized. That was a nice uh, back-out excuse for you. Very well executed and very well played. Hey, there are always people there when they're supposed to be, and the show always goes on. That's really the thing that matters. Fingers Isn't crossed, it, Mr. Yes. Meadow. Well, and hopefully, especially in today's times. Everybody, thanks for being with us. Uh, and by the way, send in tweets to us again. Hashtag Giants Chat if you have questions. We'll get to them over the course of the show. I got to a couple of the questions submitted today uh, via that. Um, form on Giants.com. Go to the Giants Twitter page. Lance and I will retweet that as well. I've had to submit questions for a Big Blue Kickoff. We'll get to those questions throughout the course of our shows. And if you have any ideas for fun things we can do too since we're not doing calls uh, to make the show more fun and better during this weird time where we're all apart and you know it's a little bit different, um, please send that in too. I think I have figured out a way to do guests. So we will be able to sprinkle in some guests here, whether it's free agency or draft prospects over the course of the next few weeks to keep the go- to keep the show fresh as well. Lance, good stuff. We'll talk to you soon. All right, pal? Absolutely. Sounds good. That's this week's episode, or at least today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. Stay safe. Stay quarantined. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.